But hey, so let's take a moment to hear from our exciting new sponsor, Surfshark VPN. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, a VPN is a virtual private network which allows you to encrypt your online activity and protect your personal data from big companies and cyber criminals. Yeah, well, so if you're not using Surfshark VPN, then you may as well be inviting hackers to come and raid your personal data online. And none of us want them getting hold of that information. I know there's a few websites I go on that I definitely want to keep private. Yeah, I mean, Surfshark not only keeps your personal data safe, but through their app and browser extensions, you can put yourself virtually in another country. So basically, I can watch US Netflix. And for people that don't know this, each country has their own different content on subscription services. So US Netflix is different to UK Netflix. Um, So I would get access to a bunch of awesome new shows. All you have to do is visit surfshark.deal slash NMP and enter promo code NMP to get 83% off and get three months for free. What? So all I have to do is visit surfshark.deal slash NMP and use the code NMP and they'll give me 83% off and three months free. And you can try it risk-free for 30-day money-back guarantee. Perfect. Right, so go visit surfshark.deal slash NMP and use the code NMP so they know that we sent you and you're going to get a massive 83% off and three months free. Right, let's jump into the show. This is the Naughty Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, corner of the company Horns of Erden, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. How are you all doing? I mean, were you expecting people to answer then? <laughs> <laughs> or is it just me? <laughs> it's like you, you... you, the people in the chat, I don't know. <laughs> if anybody is like really good at telepathy, maybe they can send me their uh, responses. <laughs> you, you pointed and waited, and I was like, is there something I don't know about? <laughs> oh, yeah, I have, I have a whole crowd like sitting right behind the uh, computer yeah. looking at me. That would be good. That would be good. No, I'm, I'm doing good. Um, yeah, no, it's been good. I've had a few days off. I'm a little bit more relaxed, taking some time with the, with the family, I guess. And just, just yeah, try to, try to relax a little bit because everything before Christmas is insane. Anybody who's worked in retail will will know, you know, you just, it's just bonkers. It's so busy. Um, so it's been nice just to try and relax a little bit um, and spend some time not working. So, yeah, what about you? Did you get up too much? Oh, man. Um, so I have purposefully done as little as possible in terms of work and all that stuff, except for, of course, like writing a book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course that little of course writing. yeah no the thing is that as soon as i get some free time uh, my mind goes like you have to put a bunch of your thoughts down on paper so that's one of the things that i do but i consider that leisure more than anything else actually because it's fun for me yeah um, no i i totally get that that's like i don't think i could ever just sit and watch tv or just do nothing i i i'm very jealous of people that can just kind of sit and do nothing and just just relax because 
I my mind goes 100 miles an hour. I'm thinking of other things I could or should be doing. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess my 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 greatest relax is just getting to the gym and working out where I'm kind of not working, but I'm I'm doing something productive, but also it just kind of relaxing. And I think when you work out as well, you get, it forces you to stop thinking about everything else in the world, and you have to, especially if you work out with intensity, that you have to focus on in that moment on what's happening. Um, you know what, actually, I, what I would say is that workout for me is relaxing. Like it, it might sound weird, but this is where, like, cause I'm exactly like you, like I go into the gym and I start lifting weights and stuff like that. And then my mind is clear. Like I am just like, you know, focused on that and there's nothing else. It's, it, it's fucking great. I love it. And that's, that's really when I have, sort of like a break <laughs> but you honest. do the, the other side of it is when usually when you get your 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 break like that and your mind is kind of clear then the fucking best idea you ever had pops into your head yep. and then you're like shit <laughs> now i'm gonna go do that instead <laughs> exactly i say that's one of the reasons why I, I i like doing sort of muay thai martial arts because especially sparring because you've you know, I, I work such a busy day, especially running, you know, running your business. We're a, we're a small, I guess we're a, a small to medium business at this point, but there's still, there's only three of us as me, Sarah and, and Eddie, the guy that we employ. Um, and so we do everything. So if emails come through at eight o'clock at night, and sometimes if they're, especially if they're a little bit shitty or, or, or on the way like that, you, you kind of can't help but reply. You don't ever get a chance to, to shut off. Um, so you're always thinking, you're always doing something with work. There's always some, there's always something to do, whether it's planning the next clothing release or just thinking of what you're going to do tomorrow. So when, when, when I'm doing sparring, you can't think about anything else because someone's going to punch or kick you in the head. So <laughs> yeah. it, it very much forces you to, uh, to focus on one thing and clear your mind. So that's quite, quite good. That's why I really do enjoy getting and doing that when I can. Yeah, no, I, and it's the same for me. Um, I, I, I need, I need that break too because, <laughs> especially at the end of a semester, right after you've entered all the grades for your students in the rosters and everything, and it, you know, that's the point where you know everything is supposed to be final, right? Mm-hmm. And if you want to change somebody's grade, you have to go through like this huge bureaucratic process that's a pain in the ass and all that stuff and that is of course when all those students who <laughs> have something to bitch about with their grades start e- emailing me you know over christmas between christmas and new yeah, year yeah. that kind of stuff and i'm like fuck off man <laughs> just fuck off the best thing to do is just not read it like if you don't you need to make sure you don't see it because if i don't see it then i don't i'm not gonna answer but if i if i see it then I have to reply because otherwise I just it's just going to be on my mind, especially if it is somebody who's been a bit difficult. Um, if I read it, then it's going to play on my mind all day and it's going to put me in a in a mood. Um, yeah. and I'm just going to be thinking about it. So I'd rather just reply and get it out of the way. And, and that's never good when it's like Christmas Day and somebody, because people do email on Christmas Day. And especially when your emails are linked to your phone and you're maybe just on your phone saying Merry Christmas to someone and then an email comes through, you're like, shit now i've got to reply to this and i don't want to work on fucking christmas day but mm-hmm. if i don't i'm going to be thinking about it for the next six hours of like what am i going to say to this person who emailed me on fucking christmas day yeah no it's i i, I get it like that uh i similar things happen to me like the problem is of course that you know these students they email me after i have 
already explained to them in class what the procedure is for grading and why they might see a change in their grades and those kinds of things, you know, when you add such things as like their attendance grades, um, when you have a strict policy about, for instance, if you have been missing so and so many classes, then we're going to knock off 5% per uh, unexcused absence and those kinds of things. So then Is that per, per unexcused absence. Yes. Um, I would have not been getting a very high grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is that, you know, especially with the um, the lower level uh, college classes, what you have to do is, uh, is you actually have to be on top of the students, um, especially the freshmen, uh, mm-hmm. to cultivate a, a reasonable, you know, attendance culture. Otherwise, they're just going to be fucking around getting drunk or something like that, you know. So... We wanna we wanna make sure that they uh, that they actually come to classes and take their studies seriously because also it's like you know you're here to learn so if that's not the primary thing that you're doing you're just fucking around and yeah I, 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 my my classes aren't a kindergarten <laughs> so no, no, that's no. how that works <laughs> mm-hmm. no I can imagine that's frustrating when when people I, certainly at, at university level or. or college level where people are there by choice or it should be by choice and then don't turn up to classes that must be uh annoying well with, without saying too much negative about the educational systems over here uh but we do have a, a situation where way too many high schools do whatever they can not to fail students which means then that when students get into college they have entirely different expectations of what reality is and they're in quite often in for a rude awakening and you know when you teach a fun uh, low-level class like vikings it's not a you know it's not a high demand on on in, uh, academic and intellectual capacities and all that stuff in a 2000 level class you get a lot of y- young students um and that's when it then becomes your problem to uh you know educate them about uh, things like consequences and responsibility and all that stuff and it's it's a pain in the ass but somebody's got to do it i guess don't do you ever put your class down like that ever again with this it's the most important <laughs> class it is the most important class but it's an introductory class right which means that it is not the highest level of knowledge that you get about vikings at college level right this is a class that introduces to the viking history and all that stuff and i i I had a whole different question that i wanted to ask for for Mm -hmm. this this episode because obviously this episode is kind of it was just bringing topics um but that's got me got me really intrigued and i don't know how long we're going to spend on this now because what is an entry-level class on vikings in like at college level um mm-hmm. like what what's kind of like that level knowledge um does that make yeah does that make sense like yeah absolutely how, how deep do you go with that kind of introductory so first of all this will uh, differ depending on which cla- uh, which country we're talking about of course like in scandinavia there will be a higher level than there is over here in the us and that's because in scandinavia there will be the expectation that people already have a lot of of information about vikings from Mm -hmm. history classes in school and all that stuff and i i would presume that it's kind of the same in the uk the netherlands and germany and so on because it's part of cultural history we had like a little a little bit on it um 
Yeah, but over here, over here, you can't even expect that people have ever heard about Vikings before, right? They mostly have, but you can't expect it, right? Okay. They wouldn't have have had much about that kind of stuff in in high school or in in any other uh, classes that they've taken, um, because that's just not the focus of American history teaching. And with good cause, it's an entirely different continent. So you actually, in some cases, have to start with exactly that. What is a Viking? And then you have to go from there. <laughs> that seems insane that it's that kind of, that that basic, that entry. Um, yeah, but I mean, at best, I think most most students who come into a class like that, they would, they would know Vikings from TV shows, right? And so they have a very, very set, idea about a viking and that is defined by popular culture mm. not by actual historical knowledge but how how do people land themselves on a course in college on vikings without having some prior understanding or knowledge or, or interest because it, it seems like if you if you take it at college you must have an interest in that subject and you've gone okay i want to know more about this this world. not exactly so just, not exactly. So your premise for, for this is, is actually a little off. The, th- the thing is that American colleges are different from uh, what we know from Europe. Um, there's, a, there's a bigger general education requirement in college here in the U.S., which means that you can take a whole range of subjects that don't have anything to do with your major, right? So you're like, you're in college to become a I don't know, a, an engineer or something like that. But then there's like a, a, a bunch of uh, credits that you need to take over here in general ed or humanities or something like that, because you need to have that component too um, while you're you know, doing studies to become an engineer. And so that means that you can have somebody who has no background in history or humanities or languages or anything like that, uh, who is now sitting in your class um, trying to learn stuff about Vikings, right? So that means that you that there's an entirely different like level of of foundation that you need to build before that person can really get into learning about Vikings. Okay, yeah, that 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 makes sense. You say now, so some people maybe there just to make up credit, I guess, and then not mm-hmm. particularly. Just, whereas in in the UK, our college system works. You pick you pick four for AS so you have AS level and A level so you have two years in college the AS level you pick four subjects and they are things that you you're interested in they're things that you want to learn more about and then hopefully that's going to step you on to study one of them at university so when I was when I went to college I did law politics medieval history and psychology um so they're they're for that I did AS level and then I did I dropped psychology and did the other three at, at A level um, I, I got my A-levels, so I'm not that much of a dumbass. I've just forgotten most, <laughs> most of it. Uh, I decided not to go to USC, but that's kind of how I, I understood college is that you picked pick subjects that you, you liked and you wanted to, to do. Um, mm-hmm. So you would have kind of have some understanding. It wouldn't be a case of you just take one because you had to. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, so this is, you know, an interesting subject in and of itself, like how these different school systems uh, organize all this like uh, for me for instance when I was in high school that was when I had to start specializing like back when I they've changed a little bit in Denmark now uh, they're like different like paths you take in high school um, but 
a back when I were in high school, like you could either do a, a like mathematical science or language and humanities, right? What and age so, do you leave high school in in the USA? In, in the US, uh, mm. I think you're around. Yeah, I think the my my college students, the youngest ones are usually 18. So so that's how that works. There. Okay. See that? Yeah, that's again really weird to me. I think I, we leave high school at. I think you can be 16, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. So you're leaving high school young and then your college is then kind of six, 17, 18. And then obviously university are kind of like 18, 19. Um, so the, the, it's, it's a lot younger when you, so when you can't really compare college to college, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. because no, you, that's the thing. I mean, like, uh, you know, in, in the US, um, high school is four years, right? In Denmark is three years. And yeah, you, you just do different things. You you learn you learn different um, different things, right? There's <laughs> there's a general lack of theory, for instance, in uh, in American educational systems until you get to college, mm-hmm. which you know again this is this can be quite problematic when you're trying to teach uh, students how to think about history, right? They have, they have no theoretical background for doing that from their previous educations, right? So when they get into college, you have to like teach them how to think about history or how to think about language and all that stuff before you can teach them about it to mm-hmm. begin with, right? But, you know, I when I went to high school, you know, theory hit you right in the face in the first year. And that's when you're like okay so so now we're starting to learn about you know how we think about history and how do we do do we even deal with a subject like that right Mm -hmm. so so that's that's those are some fundamental differences um that you're working with you know between these systems no that's yeah that's definitely interesting um okay let's get on to kind of what i have a, a two-part question or topics for today the first one is obviously we this comes out just after new year um so i guess i wanted to know whether we we know of any traditional understanding of of new year or whether it was even a thing obviously we we kind of touched on last week and and again for anybody that wants to know more about the whole yule side of things go back and listen to our previous episode from last year with josh root that's where we get into real details last last week's um christmas special we touched on it a little bit but it's more just a, a silly fun episode for us to uh get drunk and have a laugh but yeah so i wanted to know whether there was we, there, there is any kind of new year and then also i saw i read something on on facebook that trusty old place facebook where i get all my uh all my news from <laughs> um I, someone's saying that apparently there is something called an oath day um, where people on Yule would, I guess, make an oath, which which then obviously makes you think of New Year's resolution and and that kind of idea of that you 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 because you, New Year's resolutions are kind of meant to be a thing where you you swear to do something, so it is kind of like an oath. You know, mine's going to be stop eating everything in sight, and uh, yeah, try and lose a little bit of weight, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the oath day that um, presumably, I don't know, like, uh, first of all, no, that's not a historical thing. Um, uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but what, what it probably comes from is a, I think it is the saga about Harold Finehair, where 
we're told that they would swear oaths on the back of a hog. So, you know, if some kind of pig roast um, on, on Yule, you know, and then, and the question is like, when is Yule exactly? And I think Snurri says that it's like 13 days before Christmas Yule and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, which, by the way, all comes down to like a mess. Speaking of New Year, a mess of uh, calendrical uh, nonsense, right? Because um, we touched upon this before, but back then in the medieval period, they had a different calendar. They were using a different calendar. Um, and um, this, of course, m makes it difficult to calibrate the dates that they, they mention. Like usually they they're a bit behind um, time-wise uh, compared to our current calendar, right? So uh, that's an issue that we're dealing with too. Now, um, okay, so did they swear oaths? Yeah, probably. They swore oaths all the fucking time, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's a thing that you do uh, for different reasons, right? Yeah, there's a great example of uh, a bunch of uh, drunken Vikings swearing a bunch of oaths about how they're going to kill their neighbors in Jomsvikinga saga, and then it turns into a giant ass battle where everybody gets killed, right? Um, <laughs> because they swore drunken oaths at a Christmas party, I think it was. Um, I mean, I've, and swore some, I've swore some drunken oaths before. Right, haven't we all? Like, that, that's the thing that you do when you have a couple of, uh, you know, kegs of beer. Um, I mean, it, it feels like a very broy <laughs> thing to do, or a guy thing. Exactly, um, it is. I, I don't, I can't, I mean, please let me know if I'm wrong in the chat or, or people let me know after, if girls ever sit around when having drinks and swear oaths to do dumb shit. Because I just, <laughs> I could be completely wrong, I but I just they do. I really hope I, they do. So do I, but I just can't imagine it. It just feels like a, a, a guy thing, a dumb <laughs> guy thing. Um because we've all done it. We've all been drunk and like just cuddle each other and said we love each other and we'd fucking die for each other. We've all I've done it. <laughs> That's the thing that you do when you get broy and drunk, you know. And um and uh these people don't seem to have been that much different in that regard. These 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 male warriors, because that's what they really are, right? So so we don't know. Um, and by the way, Dan, I don't know if, if you've heard through the grapevine that that uh, that our podcast sometimes is considered a little broy. by the way. Uh, so no. <laughs> to just soften that blow a little bit, um, um, we don't know because of the sources, right? Because of the, the nature of the sources that it really is just like the focus on a bunch of uh, male groups in uh, in Scandinavia in the Viking Age. We don't know what women did. We don't really know what communities outside of like a king and his 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 warrior retinue, what they what they did, right? So so that's um that's also a, a problem when people are saying, oh yeah, they used to do this, they used to do that. Well you know what? As we've just established, it seems like you know it's a very broy thing to sit around <laughs> and swear oaths. And the question is like, what what did other normal ass people do, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. What those what did those people who didn't run around and kick each other's asses with big swords do? And we don't really know. 
And so when people say, oh, yeah, in the Viking age, they would have a day to swear oaths and all that stuff. And it's like, you always have to ask, of course, like, what is your source? Um, how did you interpret that source? And who the fuck are you talking about in the first place? Right. Mm-hmm. Who said we were growing? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we, we, we didn't like the, 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 the bros are true. Um, we're, you know, we, 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 we might make fun of other bros, but we're still bros. <laughs> I, mean, I think we, we, yeah, we are borderline. Well, we, I think we tried to keep a, a nuanced opinion and cover all things. But like you say, most of the, most of the sources, um, most of the saga literature, it's all mainly about, about guys. Um, so it's kind of, like you say, it's kind of hard to, we do try and get things in, you know, we, we, where we can but it's just most of the information, I guess, is about men. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, we can't really do much with, with that because we try to keep... Well, but that's also yeah. why the bros like it, right? Because it's a bro literature, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. well, uh, yeah, absolutely. That is why there is such a kind of a bro area around it. You know, it's especially, I guess, in popular culture, it's shown as men swinging, usually men swinging axes and and shields and fighting but also the the whole shield maiden thing is still very popular like very very popular. i think brings a lot of women into it the whole strong female side of things um absolutely yeah 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 and they probably also get a little broy. <laughs> yeah i mean you know th- th- there's also an aspect of like certain people's opinions and these you know that it's uh it's not necessarily uh because we are very broy or anything like that um sometimes it could also just be because some people uh pick out those particular examples of us being broy and then cast them as as what we're all about right maybe maybe, yeah i mean as as the podcast grows we can't please everyone we've been we've been called some names you know we're nearly 100 episodes we've uh yeah, we've been called some names in the past. So yeah, we do we must be doing something something right. Um so yeah, so is there I guess is there a, a New Year's Day, I think is an interesting one. Like is there a point where they go, okay, that calendar's done, this calendar's in, let's have a big party, um, like we do. Well, yeah, so as we established uh, when we talked about this last time, right? There's a um this is the time where it seems like the um also before christianity that 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 they would uh you know say now the the new year starts at some point um whether that happens before or after the solstice that's that's a different uh, or, or i should say on the solstice or in the month that comes after the solstice or or, or whatever that's 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 difficult to say. Um, I'd rather bring uh, Josh back on to, to to have him rant about this um, mm-hmm. because he's got some really good and and solid things to say about that. Um, then then you know sitting here and theorizing and there's there's this uh, mention in Snorrisetta no not Etta uh, his uh, his history of the Norwegian kings he mentions that there's something called Herkonot so uh, so the that this this night that is you know a marker of of a transition of some kind but it's it's really nebulous it's uh, honestly it's it's very very difficult to say when exactly in pre-christian times 
they would have had um, a new year. What we can say for certain is that when Snorri is sitting there and writing all of this stuff, he's a Christian and he's calibrating everything according to the Christian calendar. So that's why he's claiming that, you know, Yule and, Christ and Christmas are the same thing. And that has then, you know, led to a bunch of Viking bros being like, yeah, heathen Vikings invented Christmas and the Christians have just stolen it from us. La, 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 la. It's like, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's the other way around. It's like a Christian dude who's like basically saying that this, the 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 holidays or rituals that used to exist in pre-Christian times, they're the same as Christ, uh, Christmas, Christian Christmas. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the the winter solstice in itself, to me, certainly feels like it would be a new year, or at least at least, or at least that would make sense. Is it been like a a marker because it's a it's an important marker. It's when the when the sun's coming coming back, and that's um, that's what it was in Rome, right? But um, like in the Roman Empire. But but I think uh, the reason that we get to like the twenty fourth and twenty fifth as days of celebrations for things, whether or not it's like the birth of Mithras or the Saturnalia or uh, Christ or whatever, I think the reason for that is that it is not uh, you can't. Uh, unless you have very uh, uh, good tools to actually see this, uh, the shift in light and all that stuff and the changes um, in the course of the sun, right? You need to get a couple of days uh, into the future after solstice to really know that, that, that there's been a shift, that now we have more light, right? Mm -hmm. so, so I think that's that's if I remember correctly, one of the explanations for why, why we had the, uh, um, the celebrations a little after this, the solstice. I mean, that would make sense because they're not working on, on the, the same exact calendars that we have and they can't just check Google, I guess, for what day it is. You have to kind of make sure. I don't know how they measured the length of the day. That, that whole shit boggles my mind. Beyond belief how they knew these things. Um, because if I mean, was... you, can, you can see it with the old, you know, sun clock, right? A sun clock is, is basically just a stick that where you can, you know, measure the length of, uh, and, and direction of the shadow, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so by that, you can, you can, of course, see, um, see changes uh, pretty accurately, right? I mean, there's a bunch of very smart Greeks and Romans who figured all of this shit out long before us. <laughs> I, I know, and they are smarter than I ever could be. Um, no, it's yeah. So, it, but it would make sense that I, I assume the change day to day isn't going to be that great. But over the span of maybe three, four, five days, you're then going to get a good pattern that that the sun shifted and it's going in the other way, and then that's when your celebrations would kick in because you now you now know. Mm -hmm. there's one aspect of this that we should also keep in mind and that is of course that you know rome and the mediterranean are closer to the equator and and therefore the light will also be different um whereas like mm -hmm. if we're if we're up in norway um and iceland and so on then we we have a much much harder time perhaps in, in actually seeing seeing these changes because you have darkness for so much longer right there is no sun. <laughs> there is no sun. It's like you know, in, in the in the a deep winter, it's like a it's like a, a, a you know, as if as if the, it's just like 
perpetual dawn <laughs> you know kind of situation up there in the in the arctic so yeah if if it even if you even see the sun because then you also have cloud covers and that kind of stuff perfect okay so that that answers that there's no there's no oath day um there's, there's no particular oath day there's there is like a story about as if I remember correctly, it is Snorri Sturluson's history about uh, Harold Fine here that he swears an oath on the back of a hog. It could be Hokon the Good, but I don't think so. I think it's Harold Fine here. So yeah, that that's it. <laughs> okay. So it's not like an oath day. Yeah. And like this is something that everybody did and they would have a huge ritual and blah, 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 blah. No, it doesn't look like it. Oh, there we go. Um, okay, and then on to my my second part, of my second topic. So we touched on this this last week a little bit, um, and I wanted to maybe go a little little bit deeper and clear some stuff up. And that's it's kind of just all surrounding the whole idea of rune magic. Um, I know there's so many people out there that that have rune magic books, um, follow rune magic, um, and the one post in particular I mentioned last week was um, somebody offering rune readings by casting the runes um, and all he needed was a, a name and a, and a photo and he could tell you your future, I guess, by casting the runes. And this whole idea of rune of rune magic, because, um, I mean, in that case, it sounds very much like tarot cards. Um, I want to try and clear it up whether we have any evidence for it and, and more importantly, I guess, where the whole idea of rune magic comes from. Um, and, and, yeah, just try and clear that up. Okay. All right. So we have to go far, far back in history, in deep history, to the later part of the 19th century, the 1870s, where um, let's just call her a crackpot Russian aristocrat, wrote a bunch of books. Her name was Madame Blavatsky. And she founded the Theosophical Society. She wrote the book Isis Unveiled, and then also the books The Secret Doctrine. And it's a bunch of jumbled racist mumbo jumbo, where um, she's basically uh, claiming that you can source the energy from the universe and blah 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 blah. This is like highly influenced by the by the popularization. Of, of of such things as electricity right this is where it all comes from these ideas of energies <laughs> people invented electricity <laughs> and then they thought it was magic um uh and uh she she she, she uh, claimed that in these ancient heathen religions and hinduism and buddhism and blah 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 um there uh, was this uh, original understanding of science and it had now been sort of uh, um, corrupted through the ages and just become like religion and superstition and those kind of things and she also claimed then that you could like source that original energy now flash forward a couple of uh, decades and we have a, a kooky Austrian parlamagician named uh, Guido van List who uh, uh, writes a bunch of nonsense books, um, most of them also incredibly racist, 
anti-Semitic, anti-Slavic, um, because he's like all about the glory of Germans uh, in this like multicultural um, uh, Austrian kingdom of the late 19th century, early 20th century. He um, rants about the danger of the Polish and the Czech and all of that stuff while he uh, um, talks about the glory of, of the, the German um, minority in, in, in Austria at the time. And to, to sort of prop all of this shit up, he comes up with uh, these, uh, um, these uh, fantasies about an ancient Germanic priesthood, the Armanenschaft, who um, basically, so, so, so take all of Madame Blavatsky's uh, random nonsense and then, you know, wrap it in, in German aristocratic uh, heraldry and, and Bavarian uh, uh, Fachwerk houses and that kind of stuff. And then you get Guido von Liszt's nonsense. And what he says is that this Amanenschaft, who used to be these god kings or whatever, um, um, priests of the sun, uh, they uh, are the original religion and they have left clues like sort of like a Dan Brown kind of uh, situation here. They've left clues for us in, in you know, all of these secret societies, Freemasons, the Rosicrucians and whatever else these lodges call themselves. Definitely and Templars. Templars have to be in there. They have to be in there. I will get to the Templars, absolutely. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things that he says is, of course, that, you know, the modern, for his time, modern German aristocracy are, of course, the, the rightful inheritors of all of this. And um, in their heraldry, right, so their shields with, you know, all kinds of random images that, that, that they have patched together from, you know, ages ago, you know, uh, knight's helmet and a prancing horse and i don't know a dancing fox whatever the, they put on those seals right and that's that's like a thing that has developed over centuries in 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 europe right heraldry um they actually are shapes of different kinds of bind rooms so so, so if you have a prancing horse then that represents some kind of bind room and he also says that in this traditional uh, Northern European Fachwerk uh, building style. So that's when you, you know, you 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 build a house using um, um, wooden posts uh, that then encase um, uh, bricks, right? And and that's what you then you get those like nice little uh, country houses that we know from all over Northern Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that you do that is because you haven't invented mortar mortar right to to hold the bricks together so you need to to stabilize them with um this the wooden posts right but he says the good Guido von list he says that in all of those shapes of those wooden posts you can see runes right so they're like hitting hidden right there right course, in front of our eyes. i mean of course you can see runes it's a bunch of posts put together in i mean that's pretty much what runes are they're kind of just a bunch of <laughs> sticks in different shapes where they join together um, yeah. 
and if you get a bunch of sticks and put them together in a in a house, they are certainly gonna in some cases make the shape of some a room. Rooms. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, it, it, in that sense, you're like, oh yeah, of course, right? Um, of course, uh, what he claims is that this is like ancient secret knowledge from these this Amanenschaft that has been like, you know, inherited right there in front of our eyes in our building styles and all that stuff. Um, and, and, and then he says, you know, in order to, 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 uh, harness the, this energy, right. That Madame Blavatsky invented based off of her, you know, superstitious understandings of what the fuck electricity is, uh, in order to, to, in, to harness this energy, you can do rune magic. And that you know spurs like this this uh, interest in 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 rune magic among um, quote unquote uh, uh, um, I don't know, what the fuck do you call them like philosophers? No, <laughs> that's 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 uh, that's giving them way too much credit. A bunch of Germans basically with more or less uh, uh, education. Um, it, during the 1920s and 30s and 40s, right, who are like trying to find back, uh, uh, find the way back to the ancient Aryan wisdom, right? And so you have guys like Siegfried Kummer and uh, Friedrich Mabu who claim that you can do rune yoga and meditation and those kinds of things to harness this energy. Um, I could all I can imagine is just a bunch of people sat around making the shapes of runes with their bodies now for for rune yoga. Um, dude, it's a thing. It's a thing. Oh, they, I they, believe it's a thing, <laughs> and I believe it, it it could be a thing today. To be honest, and then you know you also have someone like uh, Jörg Lanz von Liebenfels, uh, who was a student of Guido von List, who creates. Is uh, and this is where we get to the Templars, right? Um, uh, this uh, this order called the Ordo Novi Templi, right? So the the Order of the New Temples, and um, and he, he conceives of himself as some kind of like uh, a Freemason Templar Nazi kind of dude. Um, he's in uh, correspondence with. Karl Maria Willegut, who was an SS Brigadeführer and also a uh, confidant of Heinrich Himmler. And this is where we get all of the, the rune uh, mysticism and all that stuff with mm. uh, like top Nazis and the SS, right? Goes in that direction right there. Um, those poor guys, Friedrich and, uh, and Siegfried, who were doing rune, rune meditations and rune yoga, uh, they were censored by uh, Karl Maria Willegut uh, during uh, the Nazi era. And uh, was it Siegfried Kummer? I think uh, one of them was like thrown in jail for pretty much the duration of, 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 um, of World War II. Like he was like in in different uh, concentration camps and that kind of stuff. So, um, so, so, so there was also like internal feuding over these fantasies, right? But ultimately it's a bunch of fantasies that were made up in the late 19th century and early 20th century um, based off of like this pseudoscience and pseudo history and little jerk off fantasies for, 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 for dudes who wanted a German white sup supremacy over the world, right? Then after World War II, 
After World War II, we then get different individuals, such as aforementioned, I mentioned him last time, uh, Stephen Flowers, mm -hmm. um, who in the 1980s uh, revive and popularize much of this crap. And that's why I, I don't have a lot of like positive words to say about his rune magic, because he's like literally just riffing off of those guys. Um, like all of this stuff was like invented in context of like people who wanted to, to do the Nazi thing and, and, you know, create a master race and all that crap. And it's like, why, why the fuck bring that back? Why the fuck bring that back? Um, now, going back to ancient times, before all of this craziness happened, right? What, 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 what was the case with like rune magic back then? Mm. Because you can I, see, I yeah. guess it, it's a hard one to argue, argue, because I guess it, it's easy to be like, yeah, modern rune magic is bullshit. But then when you look at, I guess, like the sources, there is also a case that traditionally runes must have had some magical properties. So it's kind of like people will always just point back and go, yeah, but it does that they see magic so maybe all this stuff is true it's, it's hard to kind of argue either side because or at least differentiate what's true what's not um and like mm -hmm. say people look back and go well you know odin gave himself to the runes that seems like you no know, he gave himself to himself to acquire the runes it seems like a very much a magical thing that's happening so then people but that's, kind that's of... exactly but that's also what these guys were riffing off right they had read these stories mm -hmm. they've read um Edic poetry. They had read sagas where runes appear as as magical symbols, or or that you can write a or ca carve a runic sentence, or or some kind of uh, uh, incantation in runes, and then it has magical properties and all that stuff. They read that stuff, mm -hmm. and then of course what they had done, these people in the nineteenth century and early twentieth century, what they did was to then like wrap all of that stuff in new age crap right new age crap that's what it is right and that's that's what lives on today as most rune magic it's just a bunch of new age crap that was invented in the 19th century right that's the difference between that and then those sources right those sources that we have from the medieval period they tell of an actual living tradition that goes very far back in time and what that living tradition is, is perhaps a little more complicated than, than this stuff that, they, that, that we see today. If we look at Europe in general, like just broadly in the European continent, there are many, many magical traditions. So most magical traditions uh, have either the purpose of seeing into the future or changing uh, something in the future right mm -hmm. that's usually what they what we what we want to achieve by magic right and that's then what i would want to achieve by magic right exactly like it makes perfect sense and then and so, to, so and to be invisible because be 16 year old dad always wanted to be invisible of course <laughs> or burn it i don't know <laughs> this might be off topic i don't know if you have bernard's watch but that was a there used to be a program called Bernard's Watch. Um, and he had this little, you know, like the old pocket watches. And if you clicked it, it stopped time for everybody in the world apart from him. And so he could just get up to all sorts of mischief. And, you know, to a 16-year-old, 15-year-old boy, like that was the best thing ever. It's like, I could that do whatever. That sounds awesome, man. I could do whatever I wanted with this. <laughs> like I could just freeze everybody. Um, 
I can like fuck about with stuff, make it look like stuff's going on, and then just start time again. Um, <laughs> but I, that that might be one of the things I would do with uh, with magic as well. Mm-hmm. I would too, man. And that's those were the things that people were up to back then as well, you know. And you know, change the disposition of somebody they were in love with, right? That's also a very very standard thing. Okay, so uh, what we can see is like broadly in the European realm. We find different methods that people use to try to achieve these things. Um, for divination, right? We have the very widespread Roman practice of horospice, right? Where you look in the uh, organs of, of sacrificed animals to see what the future holds, right? You have different kinds of like transcendental or you know, quote unquote, shamanic rituals where, where the, you have some kind of ritual and, and the, the, the soul leaves the body and, and goes somewhere else and then finds out knowledge. Yeah. Um, I assume there's a lot with fire as well. Because yeah, fire, fire, yeah. fire is anybody who's been around fire, there is something very hypnotic about it. Where, wherever that comes from, I don't know, but the, you just can't help but stare at fire. Or at least that I can't. Might- that might be a modern thing because keep in mind back then people have fires going all the time. Like I, I think nowadays we, we tend to put a little more, um, you know, oh, what, do you, into... what do you know <laughs> <laughs> with your logic? <laughs> this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mike Cumner, Hans Vorden. And this week we just released our latest clothing range. Um, it's our winter range, and the whole range is entirely plastic-free. The flagship product is our overshirt, and what's special about this is that it weighs a whopping 300 GSM. Now, I know GSM means nothing to most people. It's grams per square meter, and your average shirt is about 160, so this is twice that. And all it means is just it's a really nice, heavy weight. It's perfect for layering up in the cold winter months. It's made from 100% cotton. It's got real horn buttons, of course. One of the other products we've got is our Knitter Hooded Sweater. It's a really nice 100% cotton knitted sweatshirt. It's got rolled hems, it's got a cross hood, um, and it's it's a really rustic looking, very kind of on-brand hoodette. And again, you know, the range carries on into some other items. We've got 100% merino wool beanies. Uh, we've got those in three colors. We've got rust, red, and black. And then we've got a range of t-shirts as always. These are long sleeve baseball style t-shirts. Uh, we've got a beautiful burnt orange uh, and black with our logo on the front there, a gray and black. We've got a nice sort of toffee and coffee color combination. And then we've got very typical baseball t-shirts with a, a red and white and then a burgundy and white. So yeah, just, just pop over onto the website, hornsvoning.com. Use the promo code HORNS10 and you're going to get 10% discount of anything store-wide. That's the new range or anything that we already stock other than that, to use the code HORNS10 and you only get 10% off. Right, let's jump into the show. Okay, so so in, in this whole complex of like a lot of different uh, traditions of magic and ritual, right? Runes also appear as a, primarily as ways in which you like inscribe a, an incantation in runes. Or you, uh, there's the early you know, runic inscriptions. It looks like there's a lot of like um, 
there's a lot of meaning to putting in a word in runes that 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 uh, that is very difficult for us to translate or understand properly nowadays. Like the bracteates that I've talked about before, these golden medallions that we find in Scandinavia and northern Germany, which are from the 400s to 500s. Like they they have a short lifespan. They seem to be so. They're, first of all, they're copied from. Uh, Roman medallions that the legionnaires would wear on their armor, right? And so this is something, it has a military context in Scandinavia as well. Like these, these are um, warriors or uh, chieftains or whatever who, who probably wore them, right? Um, and maybe originally they signified that you had been a mercenary in the Roman army and then you come back with a bunch of gold and now you're pretty fucking awesome. Um, so you get to wear this medallion, right? Now the medallions, they, they copy some of the imperial imagery that you have on the Roman medallions, um, like, uh, uh, you know, the visuals of, of the emperor on a horse is something that they copy, but they do it in a really, really weird psychedelic way where, you know, in some cases you just have like a giant head with like a, a hairdo that turns into a bird riding a horse and this is why we in scholarship have associated this stuff with odin as well because it's like it seems like some proto-odinic stuff that's happening here mm -hmm. like the, the the raven and the horse and the rider right that's that's a odinic motif um uh, but this is obviously early and they also connect this to magic right they 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 they, they put in runes in these uh, medallions too they um in some cases, you find uh, the entire futhark. Um, in some cases, there are different words that are very difficult for us to translate and find meaning to mm -hmm. that are um, uh, imprinted in them. Um, in one example is alu, that we now, now have sort of a general understanding that this probably means magic, right? But also probably beer. Um, so <laughs> I favorite. mean, there is a link between the two. <laughs> They definitely saw that back then. Um, they definitely saw that. And th there's also another word, tuba, that, those, that shows up. And we don't really know what tuba means. We believe that it has something to do with sacrifice. So, so this is very numinous, very magical stuff happening right there. The runes are an important component to this. And this is probably also why we then have later texts that tell us that Odin you know, received the runes in this ritual where he picks them up from the depths of the underworld or whatever is happening as he has sacrificed himself to himself, right? This all goes back to that uh, culture of numinous rulership, uh, ma like magical chieftains or kings or whatever they are. Um, they definitely perceived themselves as a chieftains uh, whose power has been legitimized through their relationship to Odin and their knowledge of some kind of mysteries of, um, you know, ritual and magic. That's definitely part of that, that history, right? But it comes from like the four or five hundreds, probably. Um, do we see examples of rune magic before that? Yeah, we see a couple of inscriptions here and there. We see a couple of uses of certain runes can stand for a word. Like 
um there's a magical inscriptions on a runestone i think it's from um maybe like the 500s in sweden and it says something like how the wolf got uh j so like how the wolf got uh there's more to it than that but the the, the example of, of a rune being used as sort of like a symbol is in this sentence how the wolf got and then there's just a j and how the wolf got that means half a wolf that's a name gave and then j we assume that means year and so what year stands for in this regard is fertility um good harvests those kinds of things right we know this from later texts that tells us that there's a incantation in, in old norse for instance um that uh, is supposed to uh, give us uh, a year of plenitude and and fertility and then that's the til arsok frider like for for good year or for year and peace right and year in this regard means good good plentiful fertile year so that probably has something to do with that ancient description uh, inscription um where harder wolf through sacrifices uh, did the same thing gave a good year right that doesn't seem like that inscription is magical it feels like that inscription is saying they did something magical and now we're writing it down yeah like it's it's like they're not expecting magic from that inscription does that make sense like you're not writing that and expecting that's going to be the magic it's the we did a sacrifice and then something magical happened and then now we're going to record it or write it down um yeah to commemorate I, think, it. I think you're you could be right about that um but you could also see it as a uh, situation of like this this happened we're recording this ritual uh, situation with certain significance in runes um uh, to to make sure it happens again like that there, there could be that component to it as well um uh, uh, and keep in mind that in this time period runes are uh, or rune monuments don't seem to have been that common they definitely seem to have been much more linked to something that had like a magical ritualistic numinous context it's only later that runes become you know this like you know it's the same it's the same thing with books right back back in the day in the medieval period books was something that you know priests had and nowadays everybody's got a fucking book somewhere right and everybody can read and write and all that stuff and it's, it seems to be the same development with the runes like you 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 have a small group of people in the 500s in, in Scandinavia who know runes and very much use them in magical religious contexts in different ways. And then later on, it becomes very popularized and common. Of course, the only caveat to this is that we also see like random warriors uh, scribbling their names on combs and, and spears and that kind of stuff in before the 500s. But again, that could be something that is relegated only to warriors that might not have been the general population mm-hmm. who did that kind of stuff it could have been initiated warriors who the fuck knows part is though 
that with that runic inscription, we do get a situation where we have a single rune that stands for an entire word, and therefore also sort of like a universe of knowledge and understanding, right? Mm. Yera, right? The J rune stands for Yera, which means year. And that with that word comes a bunch of connotations. And we do see that usage of runes uh, in that time period for, with other runes as well. And then of course, flash forward to 700 something when the Rök stone was carved in Sweden. What we see there is, is some kind of runic code inscription because we have these, um, these rune crosses at the top, they're, they're like X's with little prongs on them. Mm-hmm. And those, those uh, X's with prongs on them, they stand for different words. So there you have another uh, way of like using runes and some kind of like um, uh, coding and, and, and symbolism. Yeah. And you get I think other sp- types too. I think we spoke about them with um, Martin Findell. We probably did, yeah. I think so. I think so we, I, if people want to know more about those, because I'd never heard of runes kind of like that. Um, I mean, I'd seen kind of the generic ones that you see that people on, on like, say, again, on Facebook and the memes, like ones that stand for love and this and that, and where it's like a cross with with a couple of um, arms sticking out. I guess I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I mean, like like making other mm-hmm. runes on each each kind of yeah part of the cross. Um but I didn't realize that those were actually a, a real thing. Not yeah, no, they, maybe the they, memes they, aren't right for, for the meanings, but the actual creating rune shaped like that were real. Um, so people want to know more than just listen to the Maya Fiendel episode. Yeah. So so the uh, the the theory behind it is that um, you you make that X right, and um, and then you make little prongs on on the arms of the X. And uh, they stand for the number uh, that the rune, that particular rune that you want to write, has in the Futhark row, right? So one thing that we know is that it's, it, they had a very set idea of the, um, the sequence of runes in the Futhark, right? And, you know, it's called Futhark due to the first six of those runes, like... F-U, the T-H in, in one, <laughs> F-U, and then A-R-K, right? Futhark. And they yeah. go on from there. Like the QWERTY keyboard. Exactly. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, except, of course, the Germanic started this one with F-U. Um, so um, I don't know what that says about our, <laughs> our ancient culture. <laughs> Point is, though, that, that, that so, so you, you can write rune codes like that, and then you would be able to figure out if you, if you know the rune rows, Right, you would be able to figure out which runes are written in those X's. Right, you have other uh, so-called line runar, so that means secret runes. Um, like this too, you have uh, fish shapes, for instance, with uh, with uh, rune prongs in them, and uh, and you know other ways that they they did this stuff. But it doesn't seem like it's it's because that they necessarily thought that uh, making the symbol itself. Is create some kind of magical symbol. Uh, it's usually because they 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 are using some kind of code, um, so that only people who are initiated into that code would be able to read it. Right, the bros. They the were bros. doing it for the bros. <laughs> 
Yeah, it might have been a bro thing. Who knows? <laughs> the, so the nosy and, bastard next door can't read your love note. <laughs> exactly, right? And and this is this is another thing that we see. We see incantations written in runes, but they don't seem to have been significant because they were written in runes. They seem to have been significant because they were incantations, right? So if you go to this like vast source material that we have from Bergen in Norway, um, that I would encourage anybody to go to take a look at at the Bruggen Museum in Bergen. Um, we have all of these inscriptions in runes um, where um, people have been sending each other messages about runes and, or not about runes, about all kinds of things in runes, right? Everything from you're a dick to I'm in love with you or bring back toast, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And then, of course, also magic. You could have sent all three of those to me at some point during this podcast. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to kind of jump in and wrap this this little bit up because I really want to get to your topic because I think it's going to be, a lot of people are going to like it um, and it's it's important. So to kind of summarize, it seems as though modern rune magic is, is bullshit, but Runes were used for some kind of magic um, traditionally, but it, for the most part, it seems like they were used to write down the the spell or the words rather than tossing the runes and, and it being kind of mm-hmm. a rune reading in a tarot style fashion where you can tell somebody's future yeah. from it. The only thing with, with that idea of like, you know, tossing the runes, right, is that um we we have tacitus back in 98 ad approximately saying that there are germanic peoples who do divination by you know tossing these no tie right that's what he that's the word he used no tie that means inscriptions right why have you got to um, make i wrapped it up nice and neatly there and now yeah, well, why have you got to do this it's complicated man it's complicated. every time and <laughs> the point is though the point is that we have no way of knowing that that has that has anything to do with runes we don't know any other context for it at all but modern rune magicians people writing these books on rune magic they claim that that's the same thing right mm-hmm. And it's the only historical example we have of it. We don't see anything in the Viking Age. We don't see anything in the medieval period that is like that. Mm -hmm. No, wonderful. I mean, it's like everything you, we've said it before, that there's so much open for interpretation in this this whole thing that it's beautiful and it's annoying at the same time because we can't pinpoint what everything is, but it also allows people to put their own spin on things. Um, But I I wanted to bring it up, or this up in particular, just the people who do believe in the room magic side of things, nobody's going to tell you not to. You you believe in what you want to believe, um, but at least understand where that comes from and the roots that that, that comes from. And, and hopefully then you can separate fact from fiction and take it away from some of the maybe the more sinister side. Well, that's the thing, man. I mean, I, I do rune magic. I believe in it. I have rune inscriptions all over my hands and that kind of stuff. That that's me. That's what I do. Um, but it's a very different thing from from the this uh, contemporary stuff that you can find in all of those weird books out there. <laughs> that's it. It's equipping people with the knowledge to be able to, to to know what's real and what's not because it's so hard. It's so hard to. There's so much out there, and it, and and as you've just proven over the last what twenty minutes, that it's all 
still ties in together because those people, you know, Guido von List was still using original material to come up with his crackpot ideas. So it's so hard to separate the two. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully we can go a little bit. To and work. I will also say this, like, look, there are, there are definitely people out there who are making their own modern systems that are not attached to the stuff and uh, more power to them. I think that's great that they, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to use runes as symbols for something, use runes as symbols for something. That's great. You can, you can definitely do that. Just don't, <laughs> just don't rely on those old Nazis for it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Your, your topic. Um, we've got a little bit of time left before we wrap up. Um, but uh, yeah, you go, yeah, go away. I know you want to. Yeah. So, I mean, this kind of ties into it because um, we're, we're talking about, well, where do we get our knowledge from? Right. And I often get asked like, what are, what are some good sources to old Norse mythology or Nordic mythology, whatever you want to call it. And obviously. Good save. Good save. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. No, because Old Norse mythology is a legitimate terminology because it is written in the Old Norse language. So it is legitimate in that regard. <laughs> um, it, there's a distinction here between between the different levels of, of use of words. But that's a different story. What I'm talking about is, of course, what sources should you read if you want to know about the Nordic gods? And the first source is the Poetic Edda. Read the Poetic Edda. Or um, I would like to call it the Eddic poems rather than the Poetic Edda, because there are Eddic poems outside of the Poetic Edda. The Poetic Edda is is, um, a modern uh, invention um, that that collects all of the Eddic poems. And the best translation that you can get, if you ask me, is um, the Poetic Edda by uh, Caroline Larrington. and you can find that published uh, by the Oxford World Classics. So, uh, so that's a that's a pretty pretty good translation. It's you know no translation is perfect, but this one comes really close to being a very decent translation. And Caroline Larrington is a is a professor uh, of this stuff, so uh, you can definitely. Uh, um trust her translation to be somewhat close to the original language um for uh, the second source it's of course uh, Snorri Sturluson's Etta now the problem with Snorri Sturluson's Etta is that it is a interpretation of Nordic mythology by a Christian dude in the 13th century right the Eddic poems are you know different in nature. Some of them seem to be very old. Some of them might even have been composed by people who were heathens. Um, But a lot of them are also late and perhaps from the 13th century or the the, uh, 12th century and and, uh, were probably not composed by people who identified as heathens or non-Christians or whatever. They were probably, you know, people who were Christians and and used this stuff for entertainment. Snorri Sturluson is a is a Christian who is writing um, a, an interpretation of Old Norse mythology. He's usually, you know, um, held up as like the shining light of 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 knowledge to to Old Norse mythology, and and uh, and the pre-Christian religion of Scandinavia and the North Atlantic. He definitely isn't. 
he's a guy trying his best to understand what it was based off of the fact that he believes that a world was created by God and needs to figure out a way uh, to explain why why there would be heathen gods in the world if God created the world, right? And his main way of doing that, explaining that, is that, oh, these were originally just historical human beings. This is a theory called euhemerism, which, you know, a lot of Christian scholars used to, to explain pre-Christian religions. Basically just saying, oh, this, this is... Uh, um, there's a bunch of remarkable historical people that people then started believing in as gods after they had died. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, like what's going to happen to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> we, all, <laughs> we would all like that. The problem with this, though, is that this uh, this this interpretation and this way of handling the material, right? It seeps into every aspect of what he's writing, which means that when you're reading this you get a sense that these are humans. You get the idea that these are people that that migrated, as he says, from Turkey to Scandinavia mm. uh, to found a religion, right? And so that has implications for how, you know, people understand Nordic mythology today in different ways. And um, I won't go more into detail of that, but it, it, if you want a really good translation of uh, Snarizetta, um, you should get Anthony Fox uh, translation. You can get it from um, Everyman, uh, Everyman's Library publications. Okay, last primary source. There's a bunch of other sources out there, but the last primary source that needs to be mentioned is uh, Saxo's uh, History of the Danes. And the best translation in English is uh, Saxo Grammaticus, the History of the Danes, books uh, one to nine by Peter Fisher. And that sounds like a lot of books. <laughs> it is a lot of books. That's, very, that's probably very thick one. <laughs> one to nine is probably more books than I've ever read in my entire life. I mean, um, it's a it's a compilation of, of like uh, smaller books. But, um, but yeah, you should definitely also get that one. It's a really interesting um, um, source to compare with the Icelandic material. Like so, I mean, the Eddic poems, they might some of them might have been composed in Norway. Uh, there's even a theory that the prophecy of the seeress, Verdelspa, one of the most po- popular poems, was uh, composed in Northumberland. Um, but they all tie to Iceland, right? All the Eddic poems that we have, they, they go in the direction of Iceland. That's that's where we get it, we get them from in sources. And and Snarizetta is, of course, also written in Iceland. Um, now, Saxo's History of the Danes is written by a Danish historian um, in the 1100s, so in the late 1100s, so right before Snorri is writing. And he has a bunch of stories about the Nordic gods because just like Snorri, he believed that they were historical beings or humans. And so he casts them as like these more or less tyrannical kings of, of, of Scandinavia instead and gives us a bunch of stories. Some are very similar to what you find in Snorri Zeta and in Eric poetry. Others are like the same stories, but incredibly different. Like the story about Baldur's death in 
Saxo's uh, history of the Danes, completely different from this, the, the, the one that we know about how he's killed and he's innocent and all that stuff. Like Balder, according to Saxo, was a jerk <laughs> and kind of needed to die. <laughs> um, so, so that's his version of it. And then you also have stories that we don't find in other uh, sources. So, so there's a bunch of uh, important material there as well. And if you if you like want to be a real uh, Nordic mythology buff, you need to get these three books and read them in those translations that I have just told you right there. There you go. There we go. There we go. Um, no, that, that I'm sure so many people are going to go out and buy those books now. Um, I hope I, so. I'm also going to, and I will do my best to read them. <laughs> Uh, no, I will. I'll, I will read them. I will read them because, like you say, they are pinnacle kind of books that you have to have to read. And it's it's so hard for people to know what because you, if you if you search anything on this this topic, there's hundreds of books that come up, and you don't know which ones to trust, which ones not to trust, which ones are original, which ones are, are kind of new interpretations. So at least this gives people kind of three solid books to go after and know that they're going to, what they're going to read is at least accurate in a sense of, or trustworthy um, in that sense. The closest we can get to to the original stories, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Go at Fontes to the sources and uh, read that stuff instead of Wikipedia. I wish you'd given me um, a couple of weeks' notice, and then I could have bought all these books and put them on Hans <laughs> <laughs> Then I'd be like, "Give hey, buy them from me." Do that. <laughs> um, so, and and by the way, if you want Wikipedia-style information that's accurate and not just a you know Wikipedia, <laughs> um, of course, go get John Lindo's Norse mythology. Um, which is a uh, is a good handbook. There's also uh, Rudolf Simek's um, dictionary of Northern mythology. Those those two are really good, you know, uh, lexicons of, of Nordic mythology that gives you a lot of like tie-ins and all that stuff. So if you have those with you while you're reading the other stuff, and you're like, oh, who is this? Or what is this like deity mentioned? named Hernier. Who is that guy? Well, I'm just going to look up in Lindo's uh, dictionary and in uh, Odo Simic's dictionary, and then you're going to get a bunch of information. And they're relatively inexpensive. So uh, so they're good good to have on hand. There you go. Okay, so everybody listening, grab a pen and paper, and Matthias, you're going to read them all back out because I've already forgot them. So I know, oh, the, I know the people will have, and they'll be furiously trying to rewind and listen yes. to it again and, and trying to f- figure it out. So let, let's, let's just cover it back anyway. Yes. For the Poetic Edda, get the translation by Caroline Larrington, and it's published by Oxford University Press. For uh, Snurris Edda, get Anthony Fox translation at the Snurris Sturluson by... Um, published by Everyman. And uh, for uh, for Saxo's History of the Danes, um, get 
Saxo Grammaticus, the History of the Danes, books one through nine, um, by Peter Fisher is the translator and it's commented and edited by uh, uh, Hilda Ellis Davidson, who was a very prominent uh, scholar in Old Norse religion and mythology at the University of Austin, Texas. Finally, for good on hand handbooks that you can look in uh, to um, you know, look up all the things that the scholars say about all this stuff, get John Lindo's Norse mythology and get Odov Simek's dictionary of Northern mythology. And if you Google those two, it'd be very easy to find. There you go. There we go. There we go. Um, yeah, let's wrap, let's wrap this one up. This is the, I guess it's the last one we've recorded of the year. It's going to come out in the kind of the start of, of the new year. And I, I guess we should just say thank you for everyone who's been along along with us for the journey so far. You know, I think we're in as, this, we're finishing our a second year, I, I think, um, which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're coming up to, I think this is going to be a 96, 97. So we're really getting close to that 100th episode, which is, a lot of episodes. That is a lot of episodes. Um, yeah, yeah, we we've, we've been going for a while now. I mean, if you, if you do want to support us, because it does take us, you know, this, this does take quite a few hours out of our week, um, and we would like to be able to commit more to it, but we just need kind of that that last sort of financial backing to get us to the point where we can stop doing other things to then put more time into this and really kind of up the of the show quality, I guess. Um, obviously, Mateus, you've got some lovely new headphones there that were paid for by our patrons. Um, and again, it just I, all this stuff kind of helps us just keep growing, keep keep getting get keep keep getting the show bigger. Um, so, if you do want to, Patreon is the is the best place to do it. It's literally you can join the Patreon for for I think it's five dollars is the cheapest one. So it's the the price of buying us a cup of coffee um, a month. Which is which is nothing. It you know buys buys a cup coffee a month, but when a bunch of people do that, it really does help us kind of keep growing the show. And you get a bunch of cool stuff on there as well. So you're going to get a bonus episode every single week. Um, one episode is going to be story time episode where Jonas Lorenzen comes on and narrates one of the sagas, and we get to sit and have a laugh and a talk. And they really are good fun and worth the subscription at any level, in my opinion. Um, I mean, Mateus, he does an amazing job. And and the other episode we're going to do a, a Q and A every week where patrons can come on and ask Mateus pretty much whatever you want because so many people send us messages asking us to either follow up on something from an episode. So these these bonus Q and A episodes are going to be a chance for people to, to join the patron. You're going to get the, a line to to ask Mateus whatever you want from from the old episodes, and then we're also going to talk maybe a little bit more about our our own lives and have a little fun, um, just just yeah. being us. No, exactly like our, our, our own lives. And then that's one of the things too. I mean, like I get so many messages on Instagram and social media and people sending me emails and, and, and those kinds of things. And I just don't have time to respond to them. So so if we can get everybody to go <laughs> go to Patreon and, and ask the questions there, then we can then I can actually answer them, um, which I would love to do. Well that's that's the thing. Um, you know, it's it's always awkward being like please go join the Patreon. 
but it, it does. It's, it's not just a case of us wanting to to, to make a, a bunch of money, which obviously is, I guess, is always nice. It's more the fact that you know we are so busy in the other things that we do that to take time away from that is is loss of earnings in one area. So we have to make that up in another area, so then we can put the the time to this. So for Mateus to sit down for for an hour, two hours, making notes to answer questions, you know, he's got to take away from his book writing or his teaching, um, all things that kind of have to be to be balanced out. So for us to be able to do that and keep keep the show growing, we do kind of need that support. Um, yeah, and we we really do appreciate it. And 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 I guess the last thing is the next. Um, in the next year, in the next year, we've got some really cool guests coming on. We're on the verge of kind of booking some really big guests um, from some from from some TV shows as well, which was which is really fun. We haven't had anyone mm-hmm. on from any of kind of the big shows yet, um, so we've got some of those in the works um, as well as kind of a bunch of cool um, professors and where you know we've we've got some really exciting guests, and all of this I- takes takes time. It does, yeah. We we of course have our our um, you know help from our wonderful uh, booking manager Gabriella, but uh, we are we both also reach out to people and try to find um, you know awesome individuals to 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 bring on to the show. And um, I I mean I'm pretty excited about some of the names that we have uh, raked up for uh, for for the coming year. Um, not gonna gonna say too much but uh, it's gonna be awesome <laughs> yeah no we do we, we have some really good good shows but um yeah and again thank you to everyone who's been with us this year and people who are still discovering it um and sharing it and and even if you know even if you can't even if you can't support us on patreon because not everybody can we we completely understand that but even just sharing the podcast telling a friend about it posting it on um on facebook into into groups if if somebody's asked a question on there we have the answer in one of the episodes maybe just post the episode in there and all that just still just helps us helps us sharing it helps us put it in front of new people and maybe they can help us out don't forget to give us a good rating if you like the show um if you don't like the show just don't you don't need to give us a rating <laughs> <laughs> give us a five star one anyway it helps us out we're nice people yeah but no that like i say that we could we could talk for a while about all the all the benefits the live chat is obviously one um there's a we have a, a an amazing call group of people who who come every week and watch the show support on discord um and yeah the you know we've got a group of really core i don't like the word fans but people that like the show um and they'll come in the live chat and then a community is built around that in itself. Um, and they all have in jokes and, and the, the chat's always kind of going off. And whilst we're recording, which sometimes gets a little distracting, but yes, yeah, so you also get access to that and, and meet some amazing people in there. And this, this little community that's built within what we've been doing. And I think that's everyone. I think we've, we've thanked everyone for what we do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to mention the, 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 the man behind it all that kind of puts it all together and makes a sound half decent, I hope. And makes me sound like a chipmunk every so often, uh, <laughs> which he's going to do right now. So fuck <laughs> you, Shan, for that, because I know it's coming. But, yeah, we have to say a big thank you for Shan. Um, mm-hmm. We've put him under a lot of pressure the last few months because he's been turning episodes around from Tuesday to Thursday, um, which isn't easy. 
He sits in all the chats. If we need anything pulling up from the internet that we're not sure of, he'll put it in the chat. Um, he'll get sassy with us sometimes if we get something wrong. But but he's always well, just there. to fuck with us, you know. <laughs> yeah. but, it, but again, you know, he has to take out hours. It takes hours of a week because, you know, like I say, he sits in on the episodes. He gets the episodes ready before we go live. He sits in on the episodes after. He, he edits everything. He then has to upload everything, you know. So it, it's not cheap to do these things, but you get what you pay for with anything in life. And, you know, that keeping Shannon there. Keep, keeping Shannon a job is always good. Um, and it keeps the, the sound quality good as well. So perfect. There we go. We've 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 begged for it. We've begged for it. Yes. Players. <laughs> yes. Thank you to everybody who supports us. Uh, thank you for another year. And I'm looking forward to this coming year and all the fun things we're going to get up to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like you say, we've been growing. We haven't, you know, it hasn't slowed down yet. We've been growing kind of organically since we since we started and it's getting bigger and bigger. And hopefully we can just keep that that trajectory going and, and keep spreading out as much accurate information, but also entertaining, entertainingly. Yeah, it's a word as possible. <laughs> entertainingly is a word. Now yeah. it's a word. <laughs> yeah, because this stuff this stuff can become boring, which is one reason why I just try not to sit down and read books because I just for me anyway I just get bored and that's not you know that might sound bizarre to some people and almost sound a bit silly but I I can't help it I just sit down and read and I'll read a page and be like what the fuck have I read but but for me hearing things and you know hearing people talk about it especially you know people have listened to 50 episodes there might be things that we've we've touched in in episode 30 and then we'll touch on it a little bit again in episode 62 and then maybe again in 80 just in little nuggets here and there but then it starts to to sink in and then when you when you hear it again in episode 95 you're like oh fuck yeah i remember that from when they mentioned it the last four times like today i wanted to do rune magic even though we've done runes before and um, because i know for certain that the more it kind of gets hit in little bits here and there it, it starts to stick. Um, that is true. Yeah, perfect. Let's yeah, let's wrap this one up. It's fun. I mean, I, I absolutely love doing this. It's one of my favorite times of the week. Just getting to sit down, speak to some awesome people. Um, yeah, long long may it continue. Yes, there we go. Mm-hmm.